Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello and welcome back to Wellness with Lizelle and I'm delighted to be welcoming into the studios today Dr Hannah Short. A Suffolk-based GP, Hannah specialises in female hormonal health with a particular interest in menopause and premenstrual disorders. Now her passion for women's health comes partly from her own experience because at the age of 35, Hannah had a total hysterectomy resulting in premature surgical menopause and since then she has poured her efforts into raising awareness about menopausal health and premenstrual disorders both in the medical community and in the public eye. So a warm welcome, Hannah. Thank you. Very nice to have you here. And we've obviously chatted a lot on this um, programme about menopause because we seem to have a lot of midlife women listening. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that has often come up is about hysterectomy and about early onset menopause. So what was your own journey? Um, essentially, I'd had problems since my period started. So I'd always had painful periods um, ever since I was 13. Um, and eventually when I was 22 I was diagnosed with endometriosis but then that would have been after many years of kind of struggling, missing school, missing time at university, Dear. missing out mm. on quite a lot of fun stuff as a teenager as well um, and I had several surgeries over the year for that, um, over, sorry over the years, mm. you know I had um, kind of laser surgery removal, I had things like the marina coil inserted to see if that would help. Uh, tried back-to-back pill because um, sometimes that, if that stops the menstrual cycle that can help with endometriosis pain um, it got under control for a little bit of my 20s and I made some lifestyle changes that kind of helped as well and then I kind of started getting worsening PMS and I was no longer able to take the pill because I couldn't tolerate the progesterone in the pill um, and then as I got into kind of my early 30s that just got much worse so for two weeks every month I was really debilitated by symptoms of the of my PMS um, like physically and psychologically. Mm. And I tried yeah, all the medical management that there was. Because you were actually studying to be a GP at the time, yes. weren't you? So you yeah. were going through medical school during this whole process. Yeah, So, and I think that probably didn't help because I was doing stressful shifts, not eating properly, not getting enough sleep, not exercising as well as I should be and things like that. So I think that lifestyle didn't help at all. Um, but I found life kind of pretty unmanageable. Mm. Um, and I ended up being referred to a consultant in London 
um, and having kind of reached the end of, of all the medical treatments and I did tried lots of alternative treatments as well including acupuncture and herbal medicine everything like that I just I thought well I you know I have to go for the hysterectomy and the removal of the ovaries which is kind of a quite a big decision gosh aged what 35 yeah yeah so and do they know what causes it you said that you had symptoms from your early teens mm-hmm. what are the, the the causes of endometriosis do we know very much about it there's several different theories. I, I think there's more research coming out there at the moment, um, and I'm not sure that we've kind of exactly figured out what's going on, but it's where the lining of the womb is found outside, or cells similar to the lining of the womb are found outside the womb in the pelvic cavity, and so they can stick your bowel and your bladder together. Um, they can, you know, your uterus and your bowel can be stuck together. You, sometimes you can even find some of the tissue in lungs or in the brain. Some women kind of cough up blood during... You know their periods Gosh. or bleeding from the bowel. I mean, they can be extreme kind yeah. of cases. Um, luckily, mine mine wasn't quite that bad in ter- you know, but I I did have um, a lot of pelvic symptoms and severe pain. Mm. So, so the hysterectomy is the removal of the uterus mm-hmm. and the fallopian tubes. The fallopian. So a hysterectomy is the, just the removal of the uterus, mm. but um, a total hysterectomy includes removal of, of the, the cervix. So that's obviously part of the uterus, but sometimes that's left behind is in it? the hysterectomy. Not so much nowadays, but it, it used to be. Um, and also having the removal of the uh, fallopian tubes and the ovaries. So And that um, can also happen in later life. So you do get a lot of menopausal women who also will go for hysterectomy, yes, is that right? Yeah. So why do they wait till later? Is it because they've just had symptoms for so long or do you get sudden onset of symptoms that need a hysterectomy? I mean, it can, people have hysterectomies for all kinds of reasons. Um, often if it's later, later on, so if it's in your mid-40s onwards, it may be just to do with the kind of heavy, you know heavy menstrual bleeding which can worsen as you approach menopause. That it used to be kind of the first line thing for you know when it was heavy menstrual bleeding, but now we've got much better medical treatments and things like the marina coil can control that a lot better. Mm. So, so what happened to you? So you you went in for surgery, mm-hmm. and then how did you feel afterwards? What was your hormonal health like after that? Um, I felt okay immediately after the surgery, but I was probably still dosed up on morphine right, and yes. things like that, and felt quite calm, but suddenly I suppose a few days later I remember feeling a huge rush of anxiety um and and panic and I knew I didn't feel quite right but I suppose you're telling yourself well I've just been through something major I think psychologically I was struggling a little bit with having had that major surgery I haven't had kids and all of that kind of stuff Mm. factored into it Mm. um but I I, my bones were aching I do remember that I, I I I I just remember I didn't feel well, but I was kind of expecting that. I knew it was going to take time to recover physically from the surgery, from the anaesthetic and everything else like that. Mm. I was taking hormone replacement therapy as soon as I'd finished my surgery. I was on it before because my ovaries were... um, We would try to switch them off with medication, but it hadn't completely worked. So what were you taking? I had a nasal spray, which is supposed to kind of shut down the ovaries, but I I had an unusual side effect in that I had extreme thirst and I had to kind of stop Gosh. that, so it wasn't Good really you. <laughs> <laughs> really rough, isn't it? Because some women will have injections that will t- you know switch right. the ovaries off. Because I've heard that some women, if they have a hysterectomy, can have um, a hormone implant. Mm-hmm. So and that releases progesterone, would that be right, or would no, it release oestrogen? That's normally oestrogen implant. So you don't generally need progesterone. Um, of after, course after not. You've if had you've, a hysterectomy because you remove you, yeah, the, the, the uterus, unless you've got a history of very severe endometriosis. Mm-hmm. The thing is with endometriosis, you can have severe disease but few symptoms or you, you can have mild disease and severe symptoms. And I think my disease was mild to moderate, but my symptoms were quite 
bad. Right. Um, I mean, I found it hugely debilitating. But luckily for me, I didn't have lots of spots all over my pelvis. It was mainly around my bowel and my, my mm. uterus and, and my ovaries. So. so does that mean that you were plunged into essentially menopause yeah. at, at, at that moment? Is that what happens when, yeah. when women have a hysterectomy? So, so when you've... Um, well, it's the, it's the removal of the ovaries that caught, triggers, the, triggers the surgical menopause. Right. So when they were taken out, then you're instantly plunged into a menop- uh, yeah, surgical menopause. And, just, and what is done to help soften the blow, if you like? I'll hopefully being on, on HRT um, and given an adequate dose of oestrogen of in the first instance. So would that be with an implant or would it be with a patch it, or a everyone's gel? Everyone's different. I was, right. I was given a gel. I, I don't think an implant was offered to me at that point. And often it's a last resort um, thing. It's, it's normally reserved for women and girls who, who haven't managed to get on with any other kind of HRT. But because we've got patches, we've got gels mm-hmm. and obviously tablets and stuff now as mm-hmm. well, there's normally something that we can kind of... Yeah. Uh, that can help. So you now continue to take oestrogen, do you? Is, yes, is that, I do. That's part of your daily life. Yeah. But you don't need the progesterone. I don't. Well, it was part of the reason for my um, for my um, hysterectomy was because I'm progesterone intolerant, which was making oh, my PMS worse. Gosh, um, that's unfair, isn't it? I mean, that, <laughs> that a woman should be intolerant to her own yeah. hormone. So there's quite a lot of, of women with severe PMS, which is also known as premenstrual dysphoric disorder, who are progesterone intolerant. And how would we know about that? It can be tricky, and sometimes the symptoms emerge later later on. But essentially. There's often women who have struggled, you know, with taking the contraceptive pill. You know, they, they take it. That would it be a clue, would yeah. it, that you don't get on with that? It could be, but, I mean, there are so many different progestogens and stuff in the in the contraceptive pills nowadays. Some suit some women, some suit others, and you know, but some of us don't get on with any of them. Um, so just before my surgery happened, I was tried on Eutrogestan, which is the um, body-identical progesterone. Yes. Because that's often better tolerated in women who don't get on so well with progesterones but unfortunately that made me feel really bad as well even when Mm. it was inserted vaginally so you're not supposed to have such a systemic effect if it's inserted vaginally but I still felt very low very very sensitive so So I think it's interesting isn't it to look at the contraceptive pill and the combination of really complex synthetic progestogens that that contains Mm. that we tend to well, certainly back in the day, you know, when I was in my 20s and 30s, we would just swallow it without even thinking. And you go to a GP and you'd say, I want to be put on the pill and it would be yeah. instant. There would be yeah. no no question to have a blood pressure check. But actually, these hormones are, are doing potentially major disruption. Yeah, I mean, I mean far probably, more yeah. so than, than HRT does, which is yeah. which is extraordinary given the bad press HRT has. I know, has, I know, and, it's funny, isn't it? And yet we were all quite happy to take the pill, which is so much worse. I think it. I mean, obviously, the the pills is enormously beneficial for lots of people, sure. and it's fantastic at you know reducing yeah. pregnancy risk. And, but there are other health, options, yeah. whereas there aren't necessarily for, for no, hormone replacement therapy. No, but at least for contraception, we have other. But I think there's a lack of understanding choices. with contraception as well as with an HRT as to the kind of the complex nature of hormones and how every yeah. woman is different and we all need different things and what suits one won't suit somebody else and so you automatically know that if a woman has has got PMS that maybe she'd be better on a particular type of pill than Mm. than the first line one we're supposed to prescribe Mm. Um, but that's again that's kind of a frustration working as a GP because you're not supposed to stop. So tell me about about your work because you you started as a GP I'm very interested to hear about GP's approach to hormonal health and mm-hmm. and for menopause because I I do get since having written my book on the menopause and and doing lots of podcasting on it you know I do get inundated with women saying that they're let down by GPs who seem to have so little knowledge mm-hmm. how much training did you have as a GP because you trained when did you finish your training um I finished my GP training it was in 2016 but so, I didn't so not that long ago no and and how how much <coughs> of that was devoted to menopause I had 1 hour 
I think, of menopause. Um, One training. hour? Yes. <laughs> In total? Yeah. Out of how long? Um, well, it's, it's a three-year training programme. Good um, heavens. And what did they tell you in that one hour? Um, I mean, we had, to be fair, I had quite a good gynaecologist at Olive Hospital. <laughs> just crammed it in. Just crammed it in. A little bit of brief, brief history of, of okay. you know, what, what the menopause is, the physiology yes. um, mm. and, and HRT and a bit about alternatives. But mm. it literally was crammed into an hour and... I suppose didn't really focus so much on what a woman might be experiencing or necessarily how a woman might come and present to us. Um, so it's talking about the typical things like the hot flushes, maybe a bit of insomnia, yeah. night sweats, but not really talking about the psychological symptoms, which mm. is, I think, I've experienced myself, but I also see a lot of them coming in to GP. Do you, do you get... I mean, I, I hear certainly from women who say that they go to the GP with low mood or anxiety and, and the first thing that's offered is antidepressants. Mm -hmm. And they'll say, I, I know I'm not depressed. Yeah. Uh, um, what, what's your view on that? I think it, it's it's difficult. And I think um, when we don't get adequate training, I'm not, I don't want to defend any poor practice, we don't get adequate training. I said, we get this hour, well, I where my training scheme, we, got, mm -hmm. we got one hour. And I, I think that's probably pretty typical. It's not covered in medical school, or at least it wasn't when I was there. And I was did there 2005 to 2009. Um, it's... Um, yeah, so we don't get we don't get, get it covered then. We don't get it. We're not covered really in our training. You don't even have to do obstetrics and gynaecology as a GP trainee. You so where I trained, you did paediatrics or obstetrics and and gynaecology. Really? So I mean, which I think is is frankly crazy because as GPs we're supposed to care for everyone and children and women are obviously a huge part yes, of that. Yes, yes, at least half um, of your practice. So. Um, oh dear, I forgot what I was yes. saying. Yes, no, no, just about training, about the amount of training that that you do and. Well, yeah, I... And how, how you could perhaps do more, because you also, as a GP, you do rounds in hospitals, is that right? I don't, I don't do do the G... Well, do, do you mean when you're doing the GP yes. training? Yeah, when, you, when, when you're training, you spend time with patients? Oh, yes, yeah, so you do, you spend half of your training normally, 18 months in, in the hospital doing different rotations, so that will be, I don't know, maybe A&E, general medicine, obstetrics, mm -hmm. gynaecology, um, care of the elderly or something like that, and then you spend 18 months in, in general practice as well. Um, and you get lectures at the same time, do you? Yeah, so there's normally once, once, once a week we'd probably get something like that. But the, the issue is you can't always attend them, and I think that's what, what happens. So if you're working a busy hospital job um, and you can't get off on that afternoon where we're being taught about menopause, you might not get any menopause training. If you don't um, have a gynaecology placement, then you might never sit in a menopause clinic. Yeah. Um, even when you do the gynaecology placements, you're normally doing the on-call rate, so you're working in A&E and seeing a lot of people who may be coming in with a miscarriage or mm. seeing a bit of helping us with surgery. Yes, more extreme So you're not really cases, dealing obviously. with that. And I mean, yeah. I did a diploma um, for the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynaecologists and you do an exam there. And I think there were like two or three questions out of a well over 300 on, on hormonal health. Gosh. So um, it's, it's, yeah. <laughs> and then when we think how it controls our lives, I mean, you know now because you've now set up a clinic, so mm. you're specialising in hormonal health, is that right? Yes. Um, so this has been alongside the GP work I've been doing. I think I kind of have been frustrated because you only get 10 minutes with a patient. And I think even if you know enough about the menopause anyway, you it's so hard to have that full conversation and, and you know work out where the woman in front of you is with her understanding and her knowledge and to kind of get a full, you know, full idea of what's going on and then to talk about HRT, risks, benefits or any yeah. alternatives and things like that. Um, and... I thought, well, I've got I've got the knowledge. I've been doing further training with the British Menopause Society, um, and I, and I want to be able to offer more. 
And so, yeah, I started a clinic in April. Mm. And you're interesting because you not only know a lot about this through your own personal experience and your own interest in the medical side, but you also combine a lot of complementary strategies and nutritional advice yeah. and all sorts of other things. What do you find works best alongside your work? Well, I'm, I'm kind of interested in kind of this emerging field of lifestyle medicine because I think whether women take HRT or they go down the alternative route, that's fundamental. And I think what women need to realise is that menopause gives you a time to kind of reassess where you are and, and you know, healthy living strategies and things like that. So it's a perfect time to bring all of that in. So a lot of it's kind of just reiterating advice that we're well aware of. Um, but it's lifestyle medicine is kind of evidence-based. And yes. so if we know that exercise, or weight-bearing exercise, for example, it, it helps with, you know, your bone density as we get older. And, and that's decreased as our oestrogen kind of falls during menopause. Um, we um, we know also that exercise can help with some of the menopausal symptoms. So cardiovascular exercise can be can be beneficial. Um, although sometimes if women are feeling very stressed or anxiety is a prom you know, prominent symptom, things like yoga, again, can, can be really helpful. Yes. So I often recommend yoga as a kind of a you know, regular practice and even just starting with five minutes a day. Um, mm. And there's some great apps, aren't there, you can yeah, download. I mean, there's one that a friend of mine was, was put me onto, I think it's called Down Dog, mm -hmm. and it's just a free app and you can just put in the number of minutes yeah. that, you want, you know, that you've got in the day. You might have five minutes, you might have 22 minutes or whatever and say what sort of thing you want to do. No, exactly. And, and take it with you wherever you are it's always on there on your phone to is do it, no I think it's if you kind of can give women these kind of just small targeted things to do yeah. you don't want to overwhelm people and mm -hmm. I think that that can be difficult because it can feel overwhelming especially mm. if menopause hits somebody like a ton of bricks to suddenly well, say well I think you're also then you're coping with the anxiety of somebody yeah. who you know you're, you're mentally you're not quite in the right place perhaps to make as rational a decision as you might have done otherwise. Definitely, but no. And so, in terms of like the so the the exercise is one of the things. Um, yeah, nutrition. I think everyone could benefit from including more um, fruit and vegetable in their Definitely. in their diet and um, kind of lowering processed foods and and things like that. I think that's that's incredibly helpful, especially as we we know that heart disease risk goes up. Um, yeah. um, after menopause and it's the biggest killer of women um, in this country mm. so I think looking at people's diets is and I generally talk about you know people including um, lots of beans and legumes uh, mm. and you know nuts and seeds we know that that kind of lowers heart disease risk and if you choose to include animal products in your diet kind of trying to minimize maybe a couple of times mm. a week but focusing a lot of your like, diet on kind of the whole healthy yeah. whole grains and plants absolutely and, and particularly cutting down on things like processed meats definitely yeah um, so that that's that can be helpful. There was a study, I mean, it was only a small study that was out in March this year that said that people who included lots of green leafy vegetables and berries mm. in their diet um, seemed to suffer fewer menopausal symptoms. But having said that, I can see people with a perfect diet or yeah, you know, to, yeah. um, they might still struggle. But it was, I suppose it was saying that people who followed a hugely plant-based diet seem to struggle less mm -hmm. um but even people who included everything you know animal products mm. and everything in their diet if they included servings of berries and green yes. leafy vegetables then they tended to fare so better so why would that be because would they be containing phytoestrogens or, or i think or is it about gut health do you think about having a better microbiome through diversity yeah i suspect some of it is to do with the microbiome that diversity others will be to do with the antioxidants i think in the green leafy veg and the berries mm. we know that they're very kind of nutrient rich um, and, um, you know, including lots of plants has an anti-inflammatory effect yeah. um, on the body. There's a low level of inflammation present in the body at menopause, which you think may be responsible for part of the symptoms. Really? So if we can kind of decrease the level of inflammation, in theory, that actually helps. That might be why if you kind of, if you're 
you include more plants and stuff in your diet, mm. that can be beneficial as and well. And what about eating oestrogen-rich foods, things like soy, mm-hmm. edamame, tofu, tempeh, soya milk? Yeah. Do you think for people who don't want to take HRT that that's a viable option to get oestrogen? Um, I mean, it's not oestrogen per se. So they're obviously the, the plant-based oestrogens and similar in structure to the kind of, you know, our own human kind of mammalian oestrogen. Um, but they do kind of, you know, connect with the oestrogen the receptors. But they have affinity. There's two types of oestrogen receptors and they have an affinity for, for one over the other. So we know that kind of soy foods kind of have a beneficial effect um, on, on, and can have a beneficial effect on kind of menopausal symptoms and they're also protective in terms of kind of your breast health they mm-hmm. seem to have kind of like a reverse action sometimes to some you know people worry about the action yes. of estrogen on the yes. breast i think some of that's been overplayed but um it acts as what's called a, sec- a selective estrogen receptive modulator so it seems to block the negative aspects of the estrogen and kind of um, in- improves the kind of positive aspects as well so, so should I- we be all be eating more soy then as we get into later life I, I recommend it unless somebody's got a, a kind of poorly managed thyroid condition, in which case right. you have to be a little bit careful. I recommend including some unprocessed soy foods. Mm. I recommend switching from cow's milk to soya milk, um, as long as it's fortified and you've got the calcium in there. Yes. Just, what about the iodine? Um, I guess we could recommend. You know, I, I say to people to maybe to take a kind of a, a good supplement for right. the iodine, or just a quarter of a teaspoon of iodized salt in the diet if they're going to cut out cow's milk. Yeah. And, um, so, because obviously that you know iodine is important mm. as well, but the soya um, has benefit. Say it has benefits on heart health, and it helps mm-hmm. lower cholesterol as well. Mm. Keeps the endothelium, so the lining of the arteries smooth. Mm. Um, and it, you know, you probably need to consume quite a lot of of soya milk to have right. the benefits. Yes. Yeah. Um, but we do know that the women who include soy, you know, two or three servings of soy, tend to have fewer menopausal symptoms. Um, but that's complicated while we're often studying people over in Japan. Yes, or, you know, who may have a different and, genetic structure. And it goes and, and it goes back again yeah. to microbiome and Totally. <laughs> I was talking to Professor Tim Spector on that very subject and, and yeah. you know, he was making the point that we have all these trillions of microbes uh, which make us so individual. And, you know, far more individual than just our genes, mm. because, you know, you and I will have similar genes, but our microbiome is, is likely to be with the trillions of, of um, you know, microbes in there, vastly different with no similarities yeah. at all. So, you know, eating soya might help me, but it might not help you or vice versa. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a fascinating area of yeah. science, isn't it? And nutritional medicine. A lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. 
Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Well, I think there's... there's um something there's some interesting research about the microbiome in 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 menopause and about women who can be equal producers and women who can't and equal equal e-q-u-o-l so it it's kind of um it's a result of the metabolism of certain vital estrogens and it means that people who are able to produce the equal have more benefit from the soy i think so women living in japan who follow a more traditional Ah, diet are more able to more of that yeah and so there's some of us over here can if you follow more of a plant-based diet again you're more likely to to be what's called an equal producer um and I think some women who then would move, say, to the States will follow a, a traditional, well, a kind of standard American or mm, Western diet are less, are less mm. likely to be able to do that. Mm. So I think the key, again, is including lots of plants and including regular soy. But, yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's, I don't think we know enough about it to say 100%, but there's some interesting research. So. And you, alongside all of this, you are still working with taking oestrogen, so you're still working with hormone replacement mm-hmm. and having body identical Yeah, so oestrogen. I would recommend the body identical. Um, so let, let's just be clear about this, because I know we've, we've talked about this, we'll touch on it before, there's body identical, um, which is anything transdermal, is that right? So anything in a patch or a gel? Mm-hmm. So anything, yeah, so they've got their equal... Um, a structure or the same structure as we've got it in our body of the of our own estrogen but it's they're derived really from like yams and soya plants and things interesting like that. so they're so, plant derived yeah, as well so a lot of our medicines are really as they well, are so. actually go far, far so aspirin back. is from the willow and things like that yeah but, uh, and that's different from the old-fashioned if you like hrt that we used to get which was i think pregnant horses yeah. we and, and yeah. called premarin which is that yeah. still around People it is still, still use around that? it is still around so they're called the conjugated equine estrogens right um, so that's the one to potentially avoid I, would yeah say. i would never recommend it no. um, um i think as well because you take that as a tablet and if you take oral hrt a few of the risks you hear associated with HRT only really apply to the tablets. Right. So in terms of blood clotting, or if you're overweight or you suffer with migraines, you should always have something that goes through the skin. Yes. Um, because you, otherwise, then you avoid the liver, you avoid that risk of clotting. So that's the interesting thing, that those with thrombosis or who've had strokes, I had a friend recently who said that you know she was desperate to get back onto HRT, but she, her doctor wouldn't prescribe it because she'd had a stroke. Mm. And I said, well, you know, do go back and, and yeah. take the nice guidelines and look at transdermal and gels and, I know, and patches. It, yeah. 
And I, 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 I think again, more you know, we need to get more you know information out there to the people treating women because I think a lot yeah. of women are being told falsely that they can't have HRT when they can. Yeah. And in fact, I do know of a kind of a cardiologist who does recommend um, HRT after people have had heart disease. Sure, or heart, well, it you cuts know. your risk by half, doesn't it? it if does. you think I mean, of it, such a major killer for women. Yeah. Why aren't we all on HRT? <laughs> I mean, I think yeah, it does. I think if you take it within ten years of menopause or you, you start to below the yeah. age of sixty, the benefits you definitely outweigh the risks. We have to. Be be careful about chopping and changing stopping starting hrt because that can increase the risk and but if you're um, on it you can stay on it can you yes you can as in um, and in some cases it's safe to start after the age of 60 but it mm-hmm. comes down to a very individual you know it's just very yeah. individual really yeah to be so. monitored i think it's very interesting that you've got this you know this very rounded approach because you're clearly very into your nutrition and holistic lifestyle mm-hmm. medicine but also you know, seeing the, the, the benefits as, as a medic. Yeah, well, of... I think it's also, it's just it's so important. And I think, I mean, I've had a bit of a difficult time with my own sure. HRT. Um, so I guess I can empathise from that point of view. And I've had, I'm lucky I've had access to one of the top consultants and that, you know, the, and, and he's fantastic, but obviously he doesn't know how it feels to be me or to be no. a woman in menopause or a woman no. in early menopause. Um, and I've realised how much, say, for example, stress hugely exacerbates things. So. What's the link with cortisol then and, and menopause? What happens to that when we go into declining hormones? Well, I think if your body's been subjected to a physiological stress, your, your levels of cortisol go up. Because um, cortisol is the one that we release when we're stressed, is yes, that right? Yeah, and so it has positive benefits as well. Like um, it, It's kind of higher in the morning than the rest of the day. And it, is that gets that, us out of bed, Yeah, it gets it? us out of bed and all of that kind of <laughs> stuff. So it has its benefits. But if you're... If you're if you're feeling stressed because of your menopausal symptoms, it's probably, you know, it, it, it can raise anyway because because of the changes that are going on. But if you then, mm. you know, subsequently get stressed on top of that, you're producing more and more cortisol. It can then divert um, things away from your adrenal glands, you know, producing adequate amounts of progesterone and testosterone and things like that. Um, so there's something called the cortisol steal, um, whereas you're, you Doesn't might not be... Good. Yeah, so <laughs> essentially your body is not able to kind of produce enough hormone itself um, because it's been diverted down the cortisol pathway and stuff as well. So it's really key to to kind of managing stress so some women are able to manage their met their menopausal symptoms without taking hrt and even you know when you've had a discussion with them about the benefits some women will choose not to take it which is fair yeah, enough yeah and i think those women who are then able to manage their lifestyle so they reduce stress maybe doing yoga mindfulness eating mm-hmm. well exercising getting enough sleep that sleep is the key isn't it yeah oh my goodness i mean that's what actually you know first drove me to have a look at my own menopausal symptoms was i never really had a hot flush but i would wake at about quarter past four mm. just feeling slightly warm and i'm thinking hold on a minute you know I'm, I'm not supposed to be waking up until about you know quarter to seven so why yeah. why am i suddenly doing this and having a busy life and doing lots of things i can just about you know juggle a lot of yeah. things but if i don't sleep then that's the wheels really fall off well i think the that's wagon. one of the things that distresses most women they it's it? that and, and the mm. psychological symptoms so it's the, so the anxiety yeah. and, and so they're, they're, they're the most troubling things i think and i think if women can sleep then everything else becomes a little bit easier yes we do need a good night sometimes it is the hrt might well be the only thing that can help but another great thing that i you know is looking at alcohol consumption right. um, a lot of women might start drinking more around the perimenopause because they're stressed they feel they're not yes. sleeping that they think the wine will help them sleep but it's a hormone disruptor and you tend oh to have less good quality sleep really? um 
So I've, I did a kind of a live um, event on um, World Menopause Day on the 18th of October, and mm. it was just like an online event. I was speaking with a lady who runs like a menopause support group. She couldn't find an HRT to suit her, but she has looked at changing her diet and um, she stopped drinking alcohol completely. I mean, she said she was probably drinking every night, um, yes. but she stopped completely and she said her hot flushes stopped and she now can sleep. She notices her symptoms get worse if, she's, if she kind of falls off the wagon in terms of foods and she starts to include more processed foods. But yeah. she's, she said for her, it's, it's been kind of life-changing, the, the giving up the alcohol. I'd feel very um, sad if I had if I like, couldn't have a glass of wine. Well, I think every, everybody's different. It's, mm. I think, and some, not every woman will be able to. I mean, I don't, unfortunately, I don't yeah. seem to be able to tolerate much wine anymore. Right. I think gin's okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's lots of new artisan gins coming but, um, out. Which is... <laughs> yeah, I, I, and I know that I'm not alone. And I've seen younger women as well who've gone through menopause. Some of us do, I don't know, I like wine, but it doesn't really like yeah. me. And it might be a coincidence, yeah. but I don't seem to be able to tolerate alcohol as well anymore um, and that definitely makes my symptoms worse does it what but about I, young young women going through early onset menopause mm-hmm. will will that happen to them because of surgical menopause or, or do you can you suddenly find that you're plunged into menopause with no symptoms of endometriosis okay. well there's a number of reasons so one in 100 women under 40 will go through a premature menopause um and that does include girls in their teenage years sometimes a little bit younger as young as 11 that must be i mean and, unbelievably shocking and how how is that diagnosed that that one's kind of kind of different so this that's more premature ovarian insufficiency or poi mm-hmm. um so these young women they they obviously if they got to 11 they may not have even started their periods and yeah, yeah. they may never get a period and then eventually they might get you know tested by their gp and finds that their FSH and stuff, which, you know, is a reflection of how your hormone, your ovaries are functioning is off the scale. Um, and so essentially their, their ovaries have, have, you know, they've just they've just stopped working, um, maybe not even properly started. Um, there can be a number of reasons for that. It could it could be an auto part of an autoimmune condition. Some there are sometimes some links with um, genetic conditions. Sometimes we just don't know why. Um um, and could that happen in your twenties or thirties? Just in your 20s randomly, and, 30s, and I think you know, and I think sometimes it's masked by women taking the pill. They might have been on the pill for a right. few years, stopped okay. taking the pill, maybe want to try for a baby, and then their periods don't come back. Um, and that's the main symptom, is it, that your periods? Well, stop? yeah, it it can be a, a regular periods and that stopping. But people, some women, girls will again get and women will get like the hot flushes or mood changes. Mm. Hot flushes don't seem to be quite as common a symptom when you're younger, um, but they they can occur at any age. But often it will be things like sleep disturbance or you know feeling irritable, um, you know irregular periods, just um, and, and all of those kind of you know a lot of the, the similar symptoms you you hear any you know about at menopause yes. anyway. But it can be put down to stress or busy life busy job yeah, um, it's very easy isn't it to put it down to something else yeah. other than our hormones so you need to kind of get stuff ruled out like thyroid things we need to have right. um uh, you know two tests six weeks apart to check you know, the function of the you know ovaries and things like that and then that. how do you help it do you do you prescribe hormones for younger women it's really important for um young women and, and girls who've gone through an early menopause or have premature ovarian insufficiency to be on either the pill um, or HRT until at least the age of 51 so that protects their really? bone health their brain health and and um, is that common oh, standard is that standard practice from yes. GPs that that's yeah. that that's what yeah. you'll be given it should be again there's not enough right. awareness I think okay. around the, the, I mean I hadn't heard of POI until I kind of was involved in this stuff myself gosh so your GP might not know no um, and I think some girls and women are told you're too young for this um, I mean right. hopefully if if the young girl or girl in her teenage years isn't having periods she should be referred to an endocrinologist or a gynecologist and hopefully then that will get diagnosed although you do see people who slip through the net Mm -hmm. um 
if women are kind of struggling to conceive, then if they do end up going to infertility clinic, something might be picked up then. Right. It doesn't necessarily mean you can't get pregnant if you've had that POI. So if your ovaries have stopped functioning, so it's not quite the same technically to say it's menopause. Um, so occasionally the ovaries can fire up again. Um, so there aren't nice stories of people who mm. think they'll never be pregnant and yet they might suddenly find themselves pregnant at 35 having not yeah. had to use contraception because they've never thought they could get pregnant right um although of course if you don't want to get pregnant it's important yes, to bear yes, that yes, it's very complicated um, isn't it so yeah so that's the you know, that can get kind of picked up and stuff then mm. um but i i think it's if you if you really feel that so if somebody's listening to this now and they they they, they feel that things are quite right then do kind of insist on kind of yes. referral or further testing because it's important for long-term health and yes i think there's a whole psychological thing that goes along with it as well so oh, there's gosh. the daisy network i don't know if you've heard i of have them. heard of the daisy and that's for young women going through men yeah. early onset yeah, menopause so is that right they support anybody who's uh, under the age of 40 who's had an early menopause so whether that's through mm -hmm. surgery like me so the surgery can happen endometriosis or pms pmdd um, what's pmdd Premenstrual dysphoric disorder. And how is that different from PMS? I th it's more the extreme end of it. So a right. lot of... Um, it's part of the reason that I ha ended up having my surgery as well, um, where you, one of your symptoms are pretty unmanageable with a more of a psychological component. And 15% mm -hmm. of PMDD sufferers attempt to take their own life. Oh, my goodness. And it, PMDD can affect up to 8% of women at some point in their life. It often gets worse around menopause as well. Gosh. Um, and there's a genetic component to it, so it's mm. like an abnormal reaction um, to normal hormonal changes right. and maybe a degree of progesterone intolerance. But again, we're all different. Um, there's also the women who've had cancer. Yes. Um, so they might, um, and again, with endometriosis management, put into a medical menopause. So you're having, say, Zolodex injections, which switch off the right. ovaries. So they can be put in an early menopause. Um, but if you've had ovarian cancer or you want to kind of reduce your risk of ovarian and breast cancer and you have your ovaries removed, say like yes. Michelle Heaton, who's had her ovaries removed right. because she's got the BRCA gene. Yes, um, OK. So there's, there's no, so many reasons why you, end, you could end up in an early menopause. Yes. Oh, gosh. I, I, it's very interesting. You, you, I was actually looking at you on Instagram and I came across this book, uh, which I've got here, actually, Oestrogen mm -hmm. Matters. Um, which has just come out and it's written by a couple of doctors and it's very much talking about oestrogen and how the studies linking it to uh, increased rates of breast cancer mm -hmm. were so misinterpreted and so yeah. wrong. And what's very interesting about this doctor who's written it, Dr Avram Blooming, I think his name is, or Blooming, mm. um, is his wife has breast cancer or had breast cancer and still chose to take HRT. Yeah. Which is fascinating, isn't it? So anyway, this is my, my bedside yes, reading no, at the no, moment, as I imagine it's, it's your reading too. So it's very interesting the amount of research that is out there. Where would you say is the best place for people to go? Because obviously the World Wide Web is a wonderful thing, but it's also a very dangerous place because yeah. there's a lot of misinformation. Where, where do you direct patients to go to for, for good information? If they were going to go and see their GP and they couldn't come and see you, for example, and wanted to get good knowledge okay. to be armed before they go? Well, I mean, as a GP, the, the things that I often give out, there's, there's a website called patient.info, and they've got quite basic but pretty comprehensive articles on HRT and okay. also alternative... Patient.info, yeah. OK, great. Um, take so that's that. quite good. But for more detailed information, there's the Women's Health Concern, which is the, the patient arm of the British Menopause Society, 
Um, so they've got information leaflets about all aspects of menopause and HRT. Mm. Um, there's also, I, I know you kind of know Louise Newson, and yes. she, her website, yeah. Menopause Doctor, is, is fantastic yeah, it's very with good. lots of evidence based information. They're the ones I generally tend to give out to patients, yes. and, and Louise has produced some very good booklets about you know, menopause and HRT, and including menopause and younger women. And she's quite on it too, so she's quite quick. Yeah. If a new study comes out, I think the British Menopause Society might take a little bit longer, perhaps, yeah. to update. Um, so what was very interesting there, that they had a very good one on migraine, though. Mm. I had a, a, another friend who'd gone through endless consultations with her GP um, with migraine, and it was very clearly linked to her cycle. She was in her late 30s, and as her oestrogen levels were dropping... She was getting these terrible, debilitating migraines, taking her off work, you know, really, yeah. you know, her job was at risk, her family life was in, um, you know, very, very difficult. She was really struggling. And the GP was absolutely insistent that it could not be anything to do with menopause because she was, quote, too young. Yeah, and she was on beta blockers and then she was on anti-epilepsy drugs and then she was on Alfred antidepressants. And eventually yeah. she finally got there, but only because I knew her and I was saying, look, these are the nice guidelines show your GP, you can have transdermal gel yeah. or patches. You know, how can we get this? You, you were saying the lack of information that comes through basic medical school training. How can yeah. we encourage GPs? Are there sort of courses that they could do or, or places that they could look at? There, there are courses, um, but again, it's probably like with anything, you have to kind of be motivated to do that or have sure. an interest area. So obviously I have, you know, had a personal interest as well as a yeah. profession, professional interest. Yeah. Um, and I'm doing like advanced training in menopause, um, you know, treatment and management. But most people aren't going to be able to do that, whether or not they want to, because it's such a busy life and job as a GP. You get yeah, some study leave, that. but mm. a lot of people will go to kind of like what we call GP update courses. They do include some stuff on women's health there. Mm -hmm. I think we kind of have to go back to grassroots, really, and, and campaign with the Royal College of, of GPs and the uh, Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynaecologists, get it into mm -hmm. the curriculum. Um, yes, I mean, certainly for future doctors. Yeah, being definitely. Trained. And I, mm. I, th I think, I mean, I don't know. I'm going to be talk. I talk to some lo local practices, and I think kind of Louise does the same thing. And I think mm. those of us who've done more training and more interested will, will give talks. Well, locally. you see the enormous benefit that comes from. I think it was there 45 symptoms of the menopause yeah. that are recorded. Everything from tinnitus and hearing loss and dry eyes and I mean yeah. you, you name it. It seems to have so many. I, I, I remember I was reading some of the reviews for my book on Amazon and you know there was one lady who wrote you know I can't believe it. It's just such a catalogue of doom. You know don't <laughs> read this book. It's all terrible. And actually you know you need to be aware. No, you need you to be aware that your low mood is is possibly not because you're depressed. Yeah. That your tinnitus and your hearing. Um, disruption is perhaps not because you need a hearing aid, but yeah. because you need oestrogen. Yes, yeah, linked. I know. I think. I think that so, so obviously people like yourself are doing a fantastic thing by well, talking. Well, we try. I do feel I'm rolling a large stone up a very steep no, but hill. No, because you are. You know, you're reaching people, and it's, I know you had Meg Matthews on. on yes, yeah, so she was great. Yes, if you haven't listened to that one, she's she's a, ra a raunchy chick as old so, Meg Matthews. But, she's but worth she's, a listen. The fact that she's talking about it. Um, yeah. You know, people like Michelle Heaton have talked. I think yeah. people who are in the public eye. Yeah, Andrew McLean has talked yeah. about it. Lorraine Kelly, Kirsty. So I think it's yeah, fantastic yeah. we're getting um, people in the public eye talking about it. And I think um, there's menopause campaigners like Diane Dainsbrink. She, mm. She's done fantastic work going yes. down to the Houses of Parliament with her Make Menopause Matter campaign. 
Um, I think yes, if, if, if anybody hasn't signed up to that, do do take a yeah. look online. Make menopause matter. You can find it using that hashtag on Instagram and Twitter okay. and Facebook. Yeah. I mean, I think we have to empower women, and so I think if like listening to podcasts like this is helpful, they can then you know go to their GP and say you know there are guidelines on that. That's what. Yeah. So I let's let's briefly finish on on the nice guidelines because they are the guidelines. Nice is the National Institute for Clinical, Clinical Excellence. Excellence. Yeah. And they are the guidelines written by government. So well, there's a group of um, there's a group of people and medical experts and everyone who comes together and and also you get some patient stuff input as well and and just looking at all the best evidence and treatments that we can kind of recommend. And they are the guidelines by which GPs are obliged to operate. They're recommendations, so there's not obligation. Right. Um, okay. But they're recommendations for kind of. Best I, I did practice. read actually from a, a medico lawyer that if a GP doesn't operate under nice guidelines, they could potentially be sued. Well, they, I suppose they could be potentially because they're, they're the recommendations mm. for best practice. I think unless you've got a good reason not to, then yes. you're kind of on shaky ground. Because um, that's quite interesting. Because the nice guidelines are very clear. They are clear. that HRT should be given yeah. to women with symptoms over the age of forty-five. Yeah, and with no ve- blood test and just, exactly. just and, very... and can be given forever. There's no yeah. upper, upper limit either. Exactly. And I yeah, I think so. And, and I get I kind of get dismayed because I've got a Facebook page as well, and I I posted about that book Estrogen Matters, and there are lots of women who've written there saying, do you know what? My, I'm I'm fifty-seven and I'm having terrible. And nobody will give me anything, and you just think this is so wrong. And so like, basically, you could just print out the nice guidelines. Yeah, you can find them online, presumably. Yeah. Although I suppose they're quite long to print out, but yeah, you could print them or out. You or you could just, just, and, and just, just highlight that section. You can just cut and paste yeah, that section. I, I think that if that's what we probably need to do at the moment. And then mm. those of us who are working in this area need to keep talking about it. I yes. think social media is, I mean, although obviously there can be negatives, I think it's a great place to, you know, get the message out there. I think um, it's important also to be to know, and, I'm, and we will actually at the end of this podcast, if you want to go online, put details of where to go to get these resources yes. that we've talked about, because I think it's really important online to help people navigate through the maze of information. And I get very frustrated from people I see talking about this area who clearly have vested interest. Mm. You know, there is, yes, of course, people can say, well, the drug companies have vested interest, but frankly, HRT prescriptions are cheap as chips. You know, the drug companies are not making huge amounts of money from making oestrogen out of wild yams, trust me on this, but people who make bioidentical hormones and they're charging hundreds of pounds for these unregulated compounds. No, I mean, I certainly wouldn't take anything that was bioidentical or pay hundreds of pounds for it. And even things like supplements, you know, people say, oh, well, it's just a natural supplement. But yes, somebody's charging you a lot of money for that red clover extract or that yeah. isoflavone or that magnesium supplement, you know, don't they're not doing it as a charity for free. Yeah. So you've got to look at where revenue streams are coming from yeah. for, for people, which is yeah, why I love you. talking to people like you who are doctors and GPs who are not financially motivated. Yeah. Uh, it's very interesting looking at the company accounts of some of the clinics operating <laughs> in this area because they're making a lot of money yeah. I think it's a shame cause I'm from vulnerable of, women exactly say the women are vulnerable people, people are yeah. desperate I mean some of the people who come and see me they it, it saddens me because I think they could have received this help from their GP and hopefully with most of them you can refer them back to their GP with a new prescription with and knowledge and just say this is, like you've mentioned before the antidepressant thing and the number of women who are inappropriately given that even though it's in the nice guidelines that HRT is first line for mood disorder um, Isn't that crazy? So it says that mood disorder, first line of medication, yeah. HRT. Yeah. Because of course it's safe, it's non-addictive. You can stop taking it at exactly. any time. It doesn't accumulate. I mean, antidepressants can be useful for women who can't take hormones. So if they've had a hormone-dependent okay. cancer, for example, mm-hmm. um, that can help with hot flushes and may help with some of the mood symptoms. But we yes. don't fully understand why the antidepressants have 
this effect on the hot flushes. It was noted as a side effect. Interesting. But they can, they, they can have some benefits. Um, and, of and course, if you're clinically depressed... Yes, exactly. If that's you're clinically that's depressed, going to be your first line. But you if you're need, not, if you're um, menopausal, then that's a different And there's a lot diagnosis. of confusion. And mm. I, I think it's one of the problems the modern day in general practice when GPs are so busy, they see a woman in her mid-40s who's running a busy life, probably got kids and a job and yes, people running driving a house. Her crazy and, anyway. and you think, yeah. oh, well, maybe she must be depressed. Let's give her some sertraline. We're actually thinking, actually, what else is going on? Are you sleeping OK? Do your joints aching? How are your periods? Yes. We should be able to do this, but... Well, it's good to end on a positive. I mm -hmm. could carry on chatting forever and I hope you'll come back and chat some more because yeah, I know that this will stimulate a lot of conversations. Thank you very much. Okay. It's been really fascinating. Such an area that we need to explore and have greater awareness and exposure. So thank you. As always, as I said, we will find details of the resources we've mentioned in today's show over on lizellwellbeing.com. And there you can also sign up for the free newsletter if you'd like for lots of wellbeing wisdom on other topics. But this is one that we do return to time and time again as it affects just so many of us and our friends and our families. Now, don't forget to hit the subscribe button on your podcast app as this will ensure the next episode is downloaded safely. And if you'd like, I'd love it if you could find a moment to leave a review online. You know, it really does help other potential listeners to find the show and hopefully find the help that they may well need. So until the next time we chat, go well. Bye-bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.